and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Martha. I'm the Youth Services Librarian at the Auburn Branch of the Cranston Public Library, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Anna, and I am a podcast producer and host for the Publix Radio, the local Rhode Island public radio station, and my pronouns are she, her. Thank you for joining us. We're really excited to have you here, particularly to talk about Mosaic and the work that you've done there, bringing the stories of immigrants in Rhode Island to the wider audience of Rhode Island. But before we get into that, we'll start the show as we always do with, what have you both been reading? I read a weird array of things. I'm not like a super book person, but I recently finished a novel, which I don't read a lot of novels. I read a lot of nonfiction, but I'm in like a fiction phase. So the the last thing I read was this really cool book called Little Fish. And it's about, um, it's written by a Canadian author. I forget her name, but she's a trans woman. And the book is like a fictionalized story about this trans woman in Winnipeg, Canada, and just kind of like her life and like a queer history of her family. And um, yeah, it's like really wonderfully written. The dialogue is really down to earth and kind of like insider language. Um, and it really it makes me feel like I understand this person and all the characters in it and like this exploration of a trans identity. Um, so that was like the last thing I finished reading. And then I also started reading some more Spanish to try to like keep my Spanish good, which is just, which is very difficult when you live and work in English. Um, so I've been reading a lot of Gabriel Garcia Marquez in Spanish because his language is so beautiful. But the one I'm in the middle of right now is called Cronica de una Muerte Anunciada, which means Chronicle of a Death Announced. And it's about like this murder that happened in this town in South America. Good to know a good murder mystery is universally uh, enjoyed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and that actually ties into what I've been reading recently, which is funny. Um, so I'm a huge Giant Days fan, which is a graphic novel series by John Allison. And I didn't realize until recently that there was a spinoff coming out um, with one of the characters that is in Giant Days, but is kind of a smaller character. And of course, because I'm talking on podcasts, I cannot remember her name right now. However, it is a detective murder mystery story. And if you've read Giant Days, you know that Giant Days is a realistic fiction. It's about women going through college and their experience in England. And it's hilarious and funny. Um, Well, this is a murder mystery in the same world. And it's a teenager who's in her senior year of high school. She's solved all of these mysteries already. She's like a teen sleuth. And she's up for an award. And she goes to the award ceremony. And somebody who is also a detective is murdered. And she's framed for it. And she's like, I didn't do this. Like, I can't go to prison. I've put a lot of people there. And so she ends up becoming a consultant with the police trying to solve other crimes. So if you've ever seen Max Saren's illustrations, um, they're incredibly goofy and funny and they do really great like physical comedy. Um, So it's a detective mystery, but it's also a comedy. And I enjoyed it immensely. The only thing that was really frustrating to me was for my detective and my mystery stuff, I actually really like like complete stories. 
not all of the mysteries get solved because they want you to read the next volume. And I was sort of sitting there being like, who did it? <laughs> um, so if anybody's a fan of Giant Days or murder mysteries or graphic novels in general, it's an excellent title and everyone should definitely read it. Um, but I'm a little bit angry. I'm like, you couldn't have just solved this one for me, like in one series so that I could know what's happening. Um, but that's been really, really fun. And it's been sort of like a wackier side to the other book that I've just finished called Take Back the Block by Crystal D. Giles. Um, and that one is a middle grade book, Youth Services Librarian. Um, and it's about a kid living in a neighborhood um, in a city that is going through gentrification. And for his school project, he has an assignment that he's supposed to do some sort of social justice report. And then his neighborhood, which is like full of people who really care about their community and really live there actively, get an offer from a huge conglomeration who wants to turn it into condos. And so he actually puts his project into real life by starting to try to fight back so that not only can his family stay in the house that he lives in, but also in order to preserve the community that his, he lives in. Um, and it's actually a really, really excellent story. And um, I really loved the way that social justice was framed for a kid by having him go to trusted adults and find adults that can help him do things that are productive. Um, I feel like it's the kind of book that will leave kids feeling really inspired to do their own work in their own communities. Um, and so I think everybody should read it. Um, staying on the graphic novel kick a little, you're, well, we have a lot of graphic novel fans at, at CPL, but I always know that when Martha's on, that we're probably going to talk about some graphic novels. But this is really the only thing that I've read recently. And I kind of feel lukewarm about it, but I will mention it anyway, um, because there were some things that I think it did really well. It was a YA graphic novel about astronauts. Women in the Final Frontier. So it was all about women becoming part of the of NASA, like of the space program. Obviously, if you've seen Hidden Figures, there were many women involved in the behind the scenes stuff of us going to space. But like specifically about women getting to actually go to space. I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know about how that came about, but the things that I felt lukewarm about it is one, I think it tried to cram a lot of information into a small space of a graphic novel. There were panels where every panel like had a paragraph either of like description or in a bubble. And I think this happens a lot with graphic nonfiction is they're like, we want to give you so much and we want to make it accessible. So we're going to make it a graphic novel, but like, we still have so much we want to get to. Um, and the other thing is that it was unclear I mean, maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention. I was reading it very casually, but I felt like it was unclear who the narrator was. You find out later it's Dr. Mary Cleves, I think her name is, and she was not the first woman to go into space, but she was kind of in NASA and in the training to go to space when the first flight that had women on it went. So she like, she knew Sally Ride. She talks about how Sally Ride was taking like the brunt of the media attention and that she was like kind of going crazy. Like they show her just being like, I have some very important work to do and like running away from a group of journalists. Um, and it talked about like her dealing with like sexist questions along the lines of like, are you going to miss 
being able to do your hair in space. And even some of the NASA scientists that were like, oh, here's your kit of all the things you'll take into space. We put makeup in there because you guys are going to want that, right? And they're like, some of us might, some of us probably won't. I remember seeing something along the lines of like the amount of um, feminine hygiene products, either like a crazy amount or none at all, like one. But I think it was like a thousand tampons or something like that. Yeah, hundred. That was in the book. Yeah, that was in the book. It was, yeah, it was like a hundred. So basically, uh, right. And one other female astronaut that were there when they were asking them, they put this in the same conversation as the makeup conversation. And so like the other woman was like, you know, you all are scientists, you could do some math on this about like the numbers of days. And then it's like the num- the likelihood that anyone would get their period on the mission and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you could just do this simple math if you wanted or ask your wives. And so I thought that was like a great comeback. But yeah, if you ever think you said something really stupid in a meeting, just remember that a NASA scientist genuinely asked Sally Ride if 100 tampons was enough for one week in space. (laughs) I appreciated that that story made it in there because that was one of the things that I went into reading this book knowing about. But yeah, so it was an interesting story, but I think it would have been better if they had made it clearer that it was like, hey, I'm whoever. And... We started at the beginning of my story because eventually I'm going to go into space. You know, like that would have been a little bit clearer for me. I think that's really interesting because graphic novels are one of those formats that people are still very confused about in some ways. And people think, oh, it's so easy to make a graphic novel. And you hear all the time about how the hardest part of writing a book is the editing, right? It's like narrowing it down and making your words have power. I think that in nonfiction, like you said, Taylor, really hard to decide what to leave out. And I think the most effective graphic novels, they are the ones that have as little information as possible because a really beautiful graphic novel is going to meld the two, the images and the text, so that it's seamless. So um, I can totally understand the struggles that somebody who's a scientist or a nonfiction who really wants to get as much information out as possible is going to have a really hard time doing that narrowing down. I I definitely see what you're talking about. Yeah, but I thought it was a really important subject and really interesting. And like, I I took it out because I was like, this is a kid's graphic novel, but I want to learn about the journey to get women into space. So besides reading, have uh, either of you been watching anything interesting? I feel like when I watch something, it's one of two things. It's either pure entertainment, right? Or like pure wanting to learn something. Um, My husband and I have like run out of things to talk about. (laughs) So we like have committed to like watching certain things that are so bad that we have to talk about how bad they are, which honestly I would recommend whatever that is for you. And then unpacking how truly awful some of them can be and are. Um, So that's been a real uh, game changer. This phase of the pandemic, right? Like, Adam Sandler movies, that's one thing. And like Bob's Burgers falls into that category too. But that's it's a good show, right? Like really well-written and like punchy and great and so many episodes and like you could just kind of decompress with that. But also I've been really into TikTok recently and I find it as like this amazing educational space for me as an adult and like being so isolated during the pandemic. And like, obviously you need some sort of critical eye, right? 
you could easily fall into like a QAnon terrible conspiracy hole or like racist places. But then you can find these real gems of people and like history. I've learned so much about history and like world, like Appalachia and like, like black Mexican history, like just really cool stuff. And like, obviously there's funny stuff too, dances and stuff. But um, those are like the main areas of things that I've watched. And because I'm in like the podcast world, I also listen to a lot of things to try to feel out like what's going on in the world. And I will say that there have been three podcasts that came out in the past couple months from Futuro Studios. They're Latinx owned and operated, and they have three podcasts out right now that are amazing. One is called Suave, and it's about Guy Suave um, is his nickname, and he incarcerated for like 25 years because he was uh, he was convicted of murdering someone and a journalist who is Maria Nujosa, who is like runs Futuro Studios and Latino USA, very famous in the public radio world. She met this guy Suave early on in his sentence because he listened to her on the radio and asked for her to be a speaker at the prison that he was at. Because he was like, it's like she's a Latina on the radio. Like there's nobody like this. So she came and she was like a young journalist, the only Latina journalist on New York Public Radio at the time. And over the past 25 years, I've formed this really close, unusual relationship with him um, to the point where she sends him Christmas cards and he like asks her how she's doing. So it's like talking about the relationship, but also like how the criminal justice system has affected his life and like circumstances under which he committed, um, uh, he did murder someone and like how he lives with that and the family. So it's like this complicated thing. Um, and that's just one of the three podcasts. The other podcast is called Anything for Selena, about Selena Quintanilla. And it's in collaboration with WBUR, Boston's public radio station. And it's a really beautiful look at like the life and legacy of Selena. And um, the the host and producer of that is awesome. Her name is Maria Garcia, and she's really cool. And the third, and my favorite, is called La Brega, and it's about these stories of the Puerto Rican experience, um, both on the island and in the diaspora. And each episode is released entirely in English and entirely in Spanish. So you can listen to both, like see the differences, and they do equally good jobs in both. Like the interviews are different for the Spanish ones and the English ones based on who speaks what, but the stories are the same. Like I'm Puerto Rican, so I have never heard somebody with a Puerto Rican accent speak for that amount of time in a mainstream format that's not in Puerto Rico. And just to hear the accent is so validating. It's like, if that's not incorrect Spanish, that's that's how people speak, that's how millions of people speak. And the stories are actual histories that they're talking about that are, like, are important. And they talk about hundreds of years of, of things that have happened. So highly recommend that. It's called La Brega. Yeah, no, that sounds great. And while you were talking, I just was like loving watching Martha's face when you said the titles, because Martha knows more Spanish than I do, which is pretty much none. So it's like she had a preview on what it might have been about and you could see it in her face. Well, the word brega is like a very particular Puerto Rican word. And they explain this in the series, but Puerto Rican person who listens to this uses it a lot. But it basically means like the struggle. So like if you ask someone how they're doing, they'll be like, estoy pregando con todo me da la vida. Like I'm just dealing, kind of handling. So it's the idea of Puerto Rico as this place that is like in between colonizing powers, right? And like struggling, pregando with all these things, like la prega, like the life of being on this island and off this island. So it's complicated. 
Well, and that's so wonderful. Having it in Spanish and completely separately in English has got to be one of the most powerful things to do in a podcast, right? Because inherently you're talking about power, right? If you're talking about Puerto Rico and the history and all of that and about how you know, Puerto Rico is dominated by the United States, right? I'm also a language dork. Of course, this is like super exciting to me. The idea of having people speak um, not as academically, but off the cuff about their own personal experiences in a dialect, which is often looked down upon by other forms of the language, unfortunately, um, is such a cool and political statement. And it makes me want to listen to that podcast very much, of course. But I was actually sitting here like super excited about Selena because not only am I just fascinated by her as a character in the Latino community in the United States, but also not one, but two picture book biographies about Selena have come out in recent days. Um, situation where I was like, do I buy two picture book biographies about Selena? And then I'm like, well, of course I do, because she's like one of the most beloved, like musical people that I've ever seen by like this particular community that just loves her so much. I once in a previous job put on Selena as a community that was predominantly Latina and you should have seen the mothers and their children's faces and everybody got so super excited and was like, it's Selena, it's Selena. And amazing to me how like fervently the community loved her. So now I'm like, I want to listen to a podcast about Selena. I want to know everything about her. Um, but funnily enough, Taylor, you're always talking about being late to the party on shows. And I'll just let you know, I just don't get to the party ever for most of them. There's a lot of shows that I just don't end up watching. Um, but the one that I am super glad and it's been on my to watch list forever is I finally started watching Dairy Girls, which is set in Northern Ireland in the 90s. So already I'm in heaven because this is when I was a kid. Um, you know, I was not a teenager like the teens are in this um, series, but I was young during that time period. So it's really fun to allow the strange clothing and the hairstyles. Um, but also like I genuinely know almost nothing about the troubles. Um, literally all of my information about the conflict in Northern Ireland is from an episode of Columbo that I once watched, which is not a good resource. So it's been super interesting to watch what it was like to be a teenager in the 90s when literally these teens are just constantly dealing with bomb threats and, you know, tagging that is like violent on, on the sides of walls with threats and stuff like that. But also like how like regular it is for them and how they're living their lives every day. And I think there are lots of kids like today who are living in situations where they're constantly in danger and everything around them when they go outside could potentially be seen as incredibly scary and dangerous. It's their lives. And that doesn't mean that their lives are only misery. And it doesn't mean that their lives are only fear. And like these kids are like constantly getting themselves into crazy scrapes like they want to get jobs so they steal the entire bulletin board in the local fish fry shop and then like that they don't get to like go get fish and chips which is like a horrible punishment for somebody who lives in northern ireland and those kinds of shenanigans are just so much fun to watch and also i mean I, I don't ever like to say that i can't understand somebody's accent because of course it's always about familiarity but it's been really, really interesting because I have just not been exposed to the Northern Irish accent. And so it's been really fun for me, because um, I'm obsessed with languages, to start to try to like figure out how the language works and like, oh, like 
they use bear in any time they're talking about kids, but they can say it in like three different ways. So they're saying the kids, but every single time they say it, it sounds slightly different. And so I've been having just a field day with that one. Um, but I'm also just like laughing myself silly because it is such a funny show. And I think that's one of my favorite ways to learn is learning about a new subject and maybe there's some really heavy stuff, but there's comedy in it and there's joy in it and there's fun in it because it really pulls through. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I learned all this stuff and I didn't even realize. So I've been enjoying that show immensely. Um, and I'm trying not to just go straight through it and binge watch everything all at once. Just because I think a lot of people really enjoy this show and I don't think it's gotten a lot of like advertising is my husband and I started watching Tales from the Loop, which is this really interesting science fiction story. And it's the kind of story where you can't really tell what's happening until you get into it. But every episode starts off as like seemingly a realistic fi fiction story about somebody's life. And they focus on different characters. And then something crazy happens. And all of this is situated in this very strange, like, I'm going to say 1950s-esque because it's not historical fiction. There's also these like really, really advanced scientific structures. And there's something called the loop, which is this giant building and employs almost everybody in town. And everybody goes into this building every day to do science, but we don't know what they're doing. Um, and so there's just so much intrigue. And each episode is an hour long. And it's like watching a movie. Like I can only watch one maybe a week because it's like emotionally just like this amazing arc of a story. So I've been watching it for like six months now and I'm only on like the fourth episode because it's that kind of show that you're just like, oh no, I need to like sit with this. Wow, that sounds really cool. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Want new books but don't want to leave your house? Borrow ebooks and audiobooks to read on your phone or tablet using the Libby app by Overdrive. You can even send and read your borrowed ebooks to your Kindle e-reader, US only. It's easy and free to get started for new users and a streamlined experience for current Overdrive app users. To learn more, visit cranstonlibrary.org or overdrive.com/apps/libby. reading but miss chatting with people about what you've read? Why not join our virtual book group? There are a variety of meetings happening every month including the graphic novel book group, cookbook club, the nonfiction book group, hidden in the stacks, YA for adults, and reading in the hall book group. For more information and to register visit cranstonlibrary.org slash book groups or contact the Central Library Reference Desk at central at cranstonlibrary.org. Stay safe and happy reading. All right, well, I want us to have enough time to talk about Mosaic. So why don't you give us your pitch, your short synopsis of what Mosaic is about? Sure. Mosaic is a podcast from the Publics Radio, which is your friendly local NPR station. And it is about immigrant experiences. Just basically, you know, that's the short end of it. But 
what we're really doing is bringing narrative, long form documentary style podcasts um, from people's stories who live here in Rhode Island or, you know, southeastern Massachusetts, who are immigrants, present day immigrants, but also throughout history. So um, because the whole goal is to try to present true experiences that give a much more nuance to the conversation of like what what it's like to be an immigrant what 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 is the immigration experience like and then how is our current society shaped by immigration and it's such a cool place to do it because Rhode Island is so old right like from colonization and even there like it's allowing allowing us to view so many things through the lens of immigration, including colonization. So colonization as a form, as a very malicious form of immigration and with nuance as well. So bringing some of these characters to life, going to those primary sources, seeing what they actually said and how they actually experienced the world around them. Um, it, it's kind of the same technique that we use with present day people. Like, well, what was that like? Where did you start? What was your life like there? Why did you come? What was that like? And then now what is your life like here? And how have you impacted society? How has society impacted you? So um, that's what I am doing with Mosaic and um, what I hope to continue doing with Mosaic. And right now we're kind of putting together um, a series of conversations about immigration with different immigrant leaders and professionals uh, that we're hoping to launch later um, this spring, early summer, 2021. Fantastic. So how did the idea of Mosaic come about? So Mosaic was something that I think had been brewing at the station for a really long time. I think they were looking for a way to cover immigration, not as like a news source, but rather bring more voices to the conversation and represent communities that were and continue to be underrepresented in mainstream news media on a local level. And so I actually uh, applied to be the producer and like host of Mosaic uh, before it existed, really. It was just like, you want to report on immigrant communities, but like talk to real people. And I was like, sure. So I applied and I got this job. And so we really developed it. It was me and my former co-host, Alex Nunes, who's now the South County Bureau reporter at the station and uh, our editor, Sally Isley, who was the new editor at the time, like her first day at the station was my first day. So it was really like we were able to create something that found its voice down the line. You know, we were really developing what it meant to be a very small podcast team and like what it what the scope of these episodes are going to be. So it was, it, it was and has been grant funded through the Carnegie Corporation of New York. So we had some deliverables we had to meet. That's kind of the short end of like how it got developed, how it started. But the whole point was to give a, um, a big platform for people who are immigrants, who are living in this community to share their stories and to bring more nuance to the conversation on immigration, especially during the Trump president years um, when the conversation on immigration was so heated, such a politicized debate and such an inhumane space for people who are actually living through these experiences. Um, and there was there was not a lot of voice for immigrants during that time. Um, and there, frankly, there still isn't that much, even though the politics have lightened up a little bit. There's not a lot of immigrant voice in, in news media. And so... So that's something that we're hoping in a very small way to to change. I think it's so important to add the human element to, especially to discussions like this. I 
I hope that your show is reaching some people and making some people think differently. But I also think that even for people who aren't like radically on one side or the other of whatever political debate exists around immigration, I don't think people realize, one, how difficult it can be to be an immigrant, a refugee, um, how difficult it can be to be a first generation child of immigrants having to navigate a world that you don't know anything about. So just that very human experience. I don't think if you, if you haven't lived through it or if you're far removed from your family's immigration story, you don't really get it. Um, and I also think people don't know, are, are very disconnected from local history and how cool local history can be for people. And like, that's what I kind of nerd out about, like, is, you know, like, okay, Cranston story that I would love to tell, but I want to figure out like who to tell it through, right? Is the E-Tree Square in Knightsville, um, in how in like the 20th century, an entire village of Etree, Italy, just was like, no, we're going to go to Cranston. <laughs> and I want to know if anybody's still living from that, you know, that original migration. And there's Etree Square and like there's a plaque there, but you just drive by it. And then there's like the Etree the Cafe, Etree, like what's going on there? Like, that's really fascinating. Why did they all leave? Did they miss it? Did anybody go back? Like all of these questions come to mind and it's and it shaped, literally shaped that square of Cranston, right? Like, so that's just like one tiny example. And that happens on every square of this state. Yeah, for sure. And I actually think you do a really good job at like, I wouldn't say depoliticizing it because it's inherently political. But um, I was listening because I listened to a lot of NPR and I listened to a lot of WRNI, but the one that really pulled me in initially was about these boys because my husband is actually Azorian. His whole family is the Azores. They, literally his parents both came over in their teens from the Azorian islands. And so that's a more sort of recent immigration story. I was, I'm going to say in Rhode Island, it's a very recent um, story, but it's been so institutionalized that there are so many Portuguese people here um, and mainly from these islands. I mean, in addition to from Portugal, which is not something I knew before um, I, I married somebody whose family was from there. Um, but the story that you guys told was about like literally being that first generation Portuguese kid, really like my, my generation, which was really cool to hear and about making fun of your family, but in kind of like this really wonderful, loving way that's like about embracing your background and who they are. And I think that most people who live in Rhode Island know that there are lots of Portuguese people living in Fall River, or Bristol, all over the state, really, in Southeast Massachusetts. Um, but it was done with such like humor and love, you know, just the songs that they sing. I will not try to sing it. Um, like, it was just so funny to me. And it was really fun. But then on the other hand, you also had an episode about literally Christopher Columbus and like, like Federal Hill and the Italian neighborhood and how they feel about their connection to this figure who many people now see as not really somebody you want to consider be, to be a hero. But a lot of people really built their entire identity and their pride around who they were onto this character. And so that was another part of this same story of people moving here and then like building their identity, but based on where they came from. So I've been having so much fun with it. Thank Well, I'm so happy that, that you got to learn stuff and like connect with your in-laws too. Like, I love that. And like, there's so much in every family. And that's kind of what I want people to realize is that 
I, so many times when I approach someone, I'm like, I want to do a story about you or like, let's talk. Cause like, I think you're really cool. And they're like, I don't have anything to say. I'm like, yeah, you do. Um, so I want people to be empowered that their story is incredible and important and related to bigger things that are happening in the world and in Rhode Island. And Rhode Island is a really great place to do it because it is the world in, you know, 20 minute increments, right? Like any place you go, like you can go talk to anybody in the world and it will not take you that long to go find them unless like, sorry, Foster Gloucester, but you know, like that's the only (laughs) thing I can imagine. Like Moonstock, it's a little up there, but like, I'm willing to go, but you know, like, it's it's an amazing place to go and it's really odd in the in the grand scheme of the United States how diverse this state is and how many different types of people and different experiences exist here. And I will say the coolest part about that Christopher Columbus uh epi- there are a lot of cool parts about it. Um but one was that that was the last piece anybody got to do about that statue because then it was moved. And I think that like showed kind of the tension around it. And um, and then the second thing is like during the Italo-American early Christopher Columbus Festival, there was the Italo-American Club and they just brought they brought this girl who was from Italy who was like visiting. They like made her part of the parade. And I talked to her. And she's like, I don't really know what why this is so important <laughs> she was like so confused she's like i guess like it's nice and then these women were in the car there and they're like she's from italy look and that was and she was like I, i'm just along for the ride sorry <laughs> she was like it's, italians in italy don't really celebrate christopher columbus so you're right it is this like immigration creates new identity and i i love understanding where those identities fall and like overlap with each other Well, and I love the like read the plaque aspect to this podcast too, because we actually discovered that Fall River and Punta Delgado in the Azores, which is the big, you know, number one city, um, are like sister cities. And we only, I only learned this because we were at a concert in Fall River and all of a sudden I've been to the Azores with my husband now and we went to Punta Delgado there's a square that's almost exactly the same and the architecture is the same and there's this huge arch and all these tiles and it's beautiful. And if you had never been to the Azores, you just drive past it and fall over. You're like, that's a cool square. Like, who knows? But if you read the plaque, it's like, it was a sister city thing. And it's because so many people in the Azores just like went straight to Fall River because that's where the community was. And you don't learn that stuff if you don't stop and read the plaque and like figure out the connection between things. And I love it when podcasts do that because it's like, oh, I've been there. I know what that park is. Like I've driven there. And then you learn something that like you would never have been able to learn maybe even from just reading the plaque, right? Because you guys are going, you're doing the research and you're finding out like, well, why is this here? Absolutely, yeah. And another Portuguese Ponte Delgada thing. Um, So I went to Brown and I got, I was in the jazz band of Brown and we like took tours of, I don't know, it was like a thing. We went to the Azores and we went to Puerto Delgada because our band director played in a bunch of bands with them because of this connection. And when we went there, there were so, the opposite, the plaques that are there are dedicated to Rhode Island. So there's like Rua East Providence, Rua Fa River. I'm like, this is amazing. Like I have photos of me being like, Rua East Providence. Like this is <laughs> so silly, but really cool too. Yeah, you never think of it going back. New England is super 
guilty of all these towns that are just, we stick a new in front of a town that was in England. So you think of it more as like, oh, okay, well, those people came here and then they brought part of their home here. But so that that part of their new home made it back to the origin is like wild. Another layer of, of the influence that immigration can have. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the fact that Mosaic is frequently a program that needs to be translated for an English audience. Um, so how has that been? Uh, you know, like, how did you get to where the show is now of how you were going to handle interviews that happened outside of English? Yeah, that's a good question. So right now I am the only producer and the only host. So I write all the stories and then my editor and I work through it and we have a sound design person. So there have been, honestly, it's something I wish I could do more of. Um, So there have only been five episodes that have incorporated long form interviews, like an hour plus in another language. And the majority of them have been Spanish because I do speak Spanish. Um, And then one of them, I got an interpreter um, but it was messy. It was a messy situation where the, and it, I mean, it's like whoever the story is about, I, I want them to be able to express themselves as well as they are able to. And English is not that way for a lot of people. And I don't want to put people in that position where they f- have this opportunity to to tell their story and then they are limited by the language options. So it's 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 case by case. I want as many people as possible to be involved with Mosaic. So if somebody's listening to this, they know somebody who speaks another language and wants them to be on the show. Like I will accommodate whoever is on the show. Um, and I'll give you one example. It was a family and the, the mother only spoke Swahili, but the son spoke Swahili, French and English, but his English was not good enough where he could do Swahili to English. So he was doing Swahili to French and I was able to get a French to English interpreter. So the story was going mom to son to interpreter to me. And even there, it was messy. I don't think she was comfortable enough to do it because she has such a, she was very open. And, but, um, but it's a lot to share your story with that. And it was a very tough story. So um, th- yeah, I mean, th- I, I also like, I'm very proud of the stories that are in Spanish. It was kind of like a personal feat to be able to do both. Um, and part of my immigrant identity too. And I think like we've talked about, there's like so many nuances of different languages that are really important to try to represent. And I feel bad that I can't represent them as clearly entirely in that language, right? Like the last two episodes I produced is about a man named Juan Garcia and he has one of the best voices I have ever heard. And I just wanted to people like hear how deep it was like a voice actor and he was just like this amazing, anyway. Um, so I, I, I think Differences in speaking and language are incredibly important, not only to represent, but to maintain and not to force someone to change how they speak, especially not when they're talking about themselves. And that was one of the episodes I listened to your your interview with Juan. I just thought it was amazingly done. So like kudos to your sound engineer as well of like because the layering of just like that he was in there, but then the translation was also in there. And, and your music sound design is also great. Um, so yeah, I thought it was really well done. And I thought you're doing a great job navigating both those things and making sure that the original voice is still in there while making it accessible to audiences. Thanks, Taylor.
Appreciate that. So is there anything else that you would like people to know about Mosaic or about any other projects you have coming up? Well, I I just want to encourage people, if they haven't already listened, they can go to mosaicpodcast.org and you can see all the episodes. And also we have these amazing photographs by uh, Sharon. Adams Johnson, who's been kind enough to take some really cool photos with us. Um, and if I, I'm always looking for new people to at least talk to, if not um, do a story on. So like if you have a cool immigration story in your family, if you know a cool story about Rhode Island history that kind of has to deal with immigration Feel, there's a contact form on that website that feel free to like shoot me a message. I'll probably respond pretty quickly because I like meeting new people. And um, yeah, I just want people to feel like they own immigration stories. Like immigration touches all of us. So we all play a part in it and we all play a part in how it's represented. And that has very real effects in terms of policy and history that we are making today for tomorrow. Great. And so we end the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter, where we talk a little bit about a bookish or library related question just to give our opinions and wrap up the show. Um, so today's last chapter question is, would you rather listen to an audiobook with a terrible reader, but an amazing story or an audiobook with an amazing reader, but a so-so story? Oh, it has to be a good reader. It doesn't matter what you're reading. If it's a bad reader, I'm going to turn it off. I'm not even going to listen, even if it's the most well-written book in the entire world. Um, I love listening to books on CD and I also love having a very short commute, but it is cut down on my listening. Um, <laughs> I used to listen. I once had a, a, an hour long commute driving um, and I would listen to so many books and you get to know the person reading in addition to the characters and it can add so much to a story. And I, every year look at the Odyssey Awards, which is an award for youth um, literature, but like read aloud. And a lot of the times, the reason that that award is given is partially because of the story, but it's also because it's been brought to this new dimension via the sound effects or even just the reader. Um, so I would never, I don't care what kind of, what book it is. It could be my favorite book on the planet. If it was a bad reader, I'm not listening to it. Oh, I agree. I agree with Martha 100%. Um, and it same goes for podcasts. If a podcast has a great story, but somebody who sounds like they're reading and is not relating to me as like the person carrying me through this new world that they worked so hard to research and write, like why not give as much as much attention to how you're representing this story to the world? So definitely good reader. Yeah, I, th I think this. The unanimous uh, last chapter question because I feel the same way. I actually struggle with audiobooks a lot because I feel like the the narration frequently doesn't grab me enough, um, which is I think also why I gravitate more towards podcasts to, than listening to audiobooks because also there's multiple people talking usually on a podcast, so I find that more dynamic and then I don't just tune out and then I'm like, wait, what just happened in the book? I hadn't been listening for the last 10 minutes. I was looking at Twitter and now I don't know what happened. So yeah, it really needs to be a good reader, I think, for me to really get um, really get engrossed in the story and stay engaged when I'm not looking at the page. Well, and fun fact about the audiobook world, which I didn't really know about because I don't listen to adult um, books as often. 
on CD, although that's the way I get through nonfiction book. I have trouble reading nonfiction. So I love a well-read nonfiction story, but there's actually something called the Audis, which is like this award for the best readers of books. And these people are celebrities, like they're famous and they're people who have won like 500 times because they're just amazing readers. And um, if you want to have fun, just like go like Google Audi Awards, um, because it's really fun to like look at it and be like, oh, there's just this whole different level of literature. Like if you only read it and you don't listen to it, you have no idea about. Um, so that's a fun rabbit hole in case anybody needs one to go down. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it off. So uh, thank you both for joining me today for this wonderful conversation. Um, if anyone listening wants to reach out to us here at Downtime, you can do that at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And you can also rate and review if you're feeling generous on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show. So again, thank you for listening. And that was another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Martha Boxenbaum, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza, and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts, connect with CPL on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. Thanks for having me on. I really had a good time. Thank you. I'm glad.